Cole Shack's Loop Podcast, Season 1, Episode 10, Midnight Interview with James Rice. After my enlightening conversation with the beautiful Helen Surtees, I ran a check through tax records and business licenses. The Max Match dating service was almost brand spanking new. No one knew where it came from or what other branches it had. It seemed to me that such mysterious origins warranted what we in the press call the Midnight Interview. Hello, this is James Rice, and this is the Shack's Loop Podcast. Now, go chase the truth like your life depends on it, because it does. Shack, where do you think you're going? I'm going out. I can't stand up, but I'll see what's around the loop. What's happening around here is in the assembly column, not anything out of the loop. But yeah, I don't, like, I can, I, I, because I've been listening to all the clips on your show, I can hear McGavin's voice now narrating, but the turn, the turn of phrase, God, uh, there was one thing, somewhere at the beginning of the book, he, he, he says, you know, he had, that the Kolchak had some sort of accolade or some sort of honor, blah, blah, blah. That and a buck fifty will get you a cup of coffee at the corner store. And I'm like, that is actually a phrase that my dad used all the time. All the time, like, I was like, uh, Kolchak is the idealized version of Jeff that Jeff wished he was. And brave in all the ways that he necessarily, wasn't necessarily, you know, um, he, 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 Kolchak was my dad's alter ego, if you will, and I think that's, Maybe that's part of why, why people really identify with Kolchak, because he's an alter ego that a lot of people would like to have. Chicago? Yeah. All right. I got to tell you, the last time I was in the loop, there was... Oh, hey, listen, boy. You know what we're going to do? You and I will sit down and have a long chat, right. okay? Sure. You rap about Jive. I don't trust you, Kolchak. You double-cross your own fairy godmother for a story. Hi everybody, this is Robert. I'm joined tonight as always by Bradley, uh, my co-host, and by James Rice, the son of Jeff Rice, the creator of our truth-seeking, authority-questioning, and therefore rule-bending, urban fantasy newspaper crime reporter, Carl Kolshak. The first time James and I spoke on the phone to have a conversation to introduce ourselves, we exchanged our pleasant hellos, and eventually we got down to it. James asked me why I wanted to commemorate his dad, and I said I didn't like it when people in any circumstances don't get the credit they deserve for the work and contributions they've made on any scale. And in Jeff Rice's case, his contribution can't fit on the scale, because there are very few people more important to Hollywood's successful horror storytelling than the man who created our beloved Carl Kolschak. And the rest of the story isn't history yet. It has only just begun. So welcome to Shack's Loop, James Rice. It is an honor and a pleasure to talk with you. Bradley, the prodigal son of Shack, has returned. James, how are you, man? <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. Thank you for having me. Um, I've actually been listening to the podcast as you drop episodes. So yes... Yes. Wow. I figured I figured I ought to know what I was getting into before I said yes to an interview. Um, although definitely 
um, our conversation together, Rob, was um, very enlightening and it made me feel super comfortable with coming on with you guys. But uh, I've been getting to, getting to know Bradley a little bit, sort of you know, one step removed, but I'm a big podcast fan anyway. And yeah, just listening to you guys go on about Kolchak. And yes, I say Kolchak. Yes. Yes. I was, I was actually talking to my mom about this the other day and Jeff said Kolchak. Now I, yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. She, she brought this point up to me. If she had been saying it wrong for years, my dad would not have let her get away with it. So <laughs> he would have been, he, he was that kind of a guy. Um, there's a lot of Jeff in Kolchak. There's a lot of Jeff in Kolchak. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I could, I could start riffing, but I, I want to let you guys ask your questions we'll, we'll we'll keep going into that that very thing and we'll we'll give bradley a, a chance to talk here in just a second but yeah in in our dewidziak interview um you know he he says he knew that that jeff said check and he and that mark sided with um mcgavin with shack mostly because he felt like the character that um mcgavin was doing was polish and and mark's polish and so he just wanted to go to his Polish roots. And he and, and again that's the way McGavin said it. And and it's really interesting to me that there is that that already it's not tension, but there's that split from what the writer imagines and says, you know, in his daily life repeatedly about what he's created and how he uses that name and then what we see on TV and how it gets reinterpreted and reused, you know, by um, the actor who, you know, granted everybody pretty much um, identifies with McGavin as Kolshak. And, and I, I can't stop myself from saying shuh, but I love the fact that you say chuh. It, it's, I, just, I just remember when I asked you to do an intro for us and uh, you said it that way. And I was like, wait a minute, why is he doing that? So that was fantastic. <laughs> Bradley, what's going on with you, buddy? Man, you know, I was thinking, so if Jeff is the king of Kolshak, so would he be the prince of Kolshak? Is that how this would work? Oh, yeah, the prince of darkness. I mean, the prince, yes. (laughs) Uh, I'm definitely not the prince of darkness. Good, good. Although, growing up, so Jeff, I'm not sure how much in the way of professional acting he did, but he definitely was was very into theater. before I think he ever got into uh, journalism, writing, um, and just living in the house with him. Uh, he was the definition of dramatic. <laughs> I'm, I, I gotta tell you, I'm so sad that he's not here to participate in all of this because you, you, you would have to cut him off and say, okay, listen, it's been three hours. My, my hard drive is full. We, we, we gotta stop. Um, Cause he could do that. And uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, Prince of Darkness, I'm not. But I probably, up until up until I caught my daughter doing it, I think I might be the only person I know who, younger than the age of five, practiced an evil laugh. Really? <laughs> nice. You know, I caught her during, wow. during the pandemic one day. I'm in my office uh, between classes. I'm a teacher, and 
I'm minding my business, doing some sort of like online paperwork. And all of a sudden from downside, downstairs, I hear, and I'm like, the, the family genes are coming through. <laughs> but nobody, but nobody oh. did that like my dad. Um, I know you mentioned, I think Mark mentioned his just baritone voice. Yep. I've, I, as I've gotten older, it's, it, my, my voice has slowly gotten down towards that range, but he, he definitely is a, a solid half octave or an octave below me where I, I uh, I'm just sad that I don't, somewhere someone i hope has like an audio recording of them because i I've, yeah i've wondered about that you mm -hmm. know if anybody does you would think the guy who wrote Cole shack tapes you know and 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 then gets interviewed constantly by dewizia well maybe there's something that he has somewhere but who knows unfortunately and i i say this now with a, with a real with some shame but um, when my dad passed, it was very sudden and the circumstances were not pleasant and I won't get into them, but, um, getting things out of his place was, was emotionally pretty much impossible for me because I wasn't prepared to lose him and, um, I couldn't find anything. I didn't know how he had his stuff organized and it was just... Yeah, it was well, it was cool. not it was not good, and I wish because I know he he used to record all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff. Oh, and really? I don't know. Well, he I think he let people know most of the time, but he liked to. I think it was from his reporter days, but he liked to record phone calls. Oh no! <laughs> I think it was I think it was a leftover <laughs> habit from being a journalist. Actually, looking back on it now. Because you know when you're when you're having phone calls with people, people say things that you can use, sure, um, and you lose details if you don't if you don't catch it all. So I remember like he 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 had the big old handset, the big old like analog telephone handset, and had like a little microphone that had a suction cup that went over like the mouthpiece and the earpiece and yep. like. Straight up 1970s uh -huh. technology. I remember those. I remember that in his office. Uh, I can still remember his office. That's awesome. I, I remember seeing those in movies. And, you know, and I remember you sharing with me about that experience going going to your dad's place and how it just, you know, he, he'd gotten to a point where he's got kind of, I think what you'd said, he's really pretty disorganized and just had a lot of things. It was difficult even to kind of move around. And yeah. so, you know, those, yeah, those are the circumstances that we had there. And, and, you know, and luckily at least we've got Dewidziak who, you know, claims he has yeah. years and hundreds of letters uh, between the two of them that he has uh, stored away in a steamer trunk. And uh, I, of course, have volunteered to go there, road trip to, you know, where he is and just let me read them all. And I'll be happy to categorize him. He hasn't taken me up on it for some reason. I don't understand why, James. But <laughs> anyway, he just doesn't seem to want to do that. But speaking of your dad and my, my first and only really formal question that I've got, and <clears> I, I won't read it the way I wrote it because I'll just go ahead and say it, but do you, the people who meet you for the first time, and let's say maybe they're introduced to you 
uh, by a friend or a colleague or something like that. If the subject of your dad ever comes up, do do these people know who your dad is and what his impact was? And, you know, and and then do you have to, like, jog their memory? You know, the guy who was responsible for creating Kolshak. And do you still get a blank stare sometimes? And then you got to keep rolling. How, how does that experience go sometimes for you? Um, let me find a point on it, but it depends on uh, whether you're uh, of an age. Yeah, no, it <laughs> um, I, I have, I have colleagues. I have a colleague who, um, I, I asked because if, if the subject of my dad ever comes up and it's anything beyond just, you know, my personal recollections of him, you know, you know, what did your dad do? Oh, well, you know, he was a writer. And if I'm talking with someone who's, you know, 15, because I have a lot of 15-year-olds, I'm a student, or, if, or I have a teacher, or if I am talking to someone who's 20 or 25, I, I don't necessarily bring it up. But uh, if I'm talking with someone who I know is, you know, older than myself even, um, I'll say, well, do, do you remember a, show, a, a TV movie or a TV show called? And they're like, oh, yeah, I know that. Like, yeah, my dad created that character. Really? And, yeah, of course I remember the Night Stalker. It, you know, it, it was it was a big deal in yes. its day. And yeah, you know, the, the 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 media cycle being what it is, you know, things do come and go, and and that's fine. But it is always a little bit fun. Like, yeah, my dad did that. Right, right. Well, I'm yeah. glad. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you get that um, that experience sometimes. I, I have. It's only actually listening to you you two talk about it that I've come to realize just the impact that he had. And, and weirdly, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12, you don't believe anything your parents have to say. Right. You know, my dad's like, I still remember when the, when the, when the X-Files first came on. With, he, he, he sat me down and like reverentially. I need to understand. You need to understand that some of the things that are going on in this show are presented like they're fiction, but they're not all entirely fiction. I'm like, Dad, are you unhinged? Like, are you okay? What's going on here? And, you know, he didn't come right out and tell me that, you know, he, that Chris Carter had mentioned him. Like, I don't think I even would have believed if he had, because my dad had a bit of a penchant for, um, stretching the truth a little bit in his stories and you know it's even to this day i'm not entirely sure where some things stand factually with 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 stories that he's told me but they're good stories i mean i'll say that he 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 was a good storyteller that he very much was and uh so yeah so did he actually say then you know hey this is um, you know, the X-Files was created because the, the creator of this really liked Kolshak. Did it, did it get to that I point think, from your I memory he, of it? To be honest, I don't think he ever quite claimed that, which mm-hmm. I don't know if he wasn't totally aware of it or if he was maybe actually being unusually for him, a little humble. Yeah, yeah I mean... <laughs> Because sure. he, he he could be um, he could be very proud of himself and, and take himself 
very seriously, very seriously. But there were times also when he was strangely not not even humble, almost shy. Um, I mean, I, I never totally got inside his head. And unfortunately, I didn't get as much time as I wanted to to truly get to know him as a grown up. You know, we, we had a period of time where we were not in touch and we got back together uh, my mid twenties or so, late twenties. And, but it was still, it was you know, spotty here and there. And yeah, you know, if you want to talk about life regrets, you know, there's one of mine. So let that be listened to you listeners. Talk to your parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. It's, it's true. It's true. I mean, you're using your teacher voice a little bit there, but I mean, yeah, it yeah, is. Well. And you know, and the funny thing is, Bradley, I want you to ask a question here after I'm done, but the the funny thing is today I was listening to NPR and the um uh Indian comedian um Mindy Keeling, I believe is her name. She was in the office. Yeah. She was a writer and a and a co-producer of of the office and then eventually an actor on it and she evidently has a very successful show on television now that is about a um or an Indi- a young 15-year-old Indian high school girl and it's <clears throat> done anyway, but th- they were talking about their inspirations they have for their characters and where some of these things come from. And her character's father passes away suddenly um, when she's just 15. And the girl's a prodigy, and she's actually doing a piano recital, and it happens, and, and everybody remembers this. But then she said that there were multiple writers on their staff who all had experiences with, um, because they're, they're of an age now where uh, family members were passing away, and they all had experiences of dreaming about their parents and interacting with them. And now this different way that they would interact with them in this dream world. And it was almost as if they'd aged um, and they are now uh, more mature with it. But it, they said that it just kind of blew them away that they had all these shared experiences. And then the more they asked around, they found more people had that. And I got to tell you, I had the same experience when my dad passed away. Um, it wasn't sudden so much, but it, it still was very impactful. And 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 then I have gone to a point now where, I mean, I celebrate those dreams because I know, and this is what they'd said, that they would have a dream where they knew that their family member had passed away and that they would talk to them and say, hey, you've passed. I, I don't I don't know why I'm still you know talking to you now. And I would have those exact same kind of dreams with my dad. But but usually I would wake up so happy um, because of like I actually interacted with my dad, even though it was in my dream. And so, you know, if those times haven't happened for you yet, um, I wish those on you because they're really it's it's just it's amazing um, the the way you can feel after that happens. And, and you kind of get that, you know, they're not really there, but you just get that sense, man. You've had some sort of interaction with them and uh, at least it's your vision of them. So. I think that's really cool stuff. But Bradley, to you, my man, what are you sitting on in the world of comics or anything else that you're dying and burning to want to ask James? You know, we were talking and he was talking about uh, him, you know, his dad sitting him down. And uh, what what else did he sit you down? What, what else did he introduce you to? What's the first thing like you remember him introducing you to? Great question. Um. The list is so long, I can't even. 
um, I, I think I come by my, my teacherliness very naturally. Um, if, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think if, if the world had been a little different, Jeff would have been a professor of journalism or law somewhere. Um, cause he, not only was he a storyteller, but he was a hold forther, <laughs> if you will. And, uh, he just, <laughs> he developed encyclopedic knowledge on, if it was a topic that he was interested in, he would develop encyclopedic knowledge about it. My mom has this pet theory that he, he actually might've been on the autism spectrum. Um, wouldn't it surprise me? Uh, cause I, you know, noticing my own tendencies, um, my mom's tendencies, we, we, we folks like us tend to kind of flock together, uh, because we get each other when the rest of the world just looks at us weird. So, um, there is that, but so many things. He was a film buff and he would sit me down with films from the thirties and forties in the eighties and nineties. Um, you know, we, we'd, we'd go down to the local, you know, video, video shop, video rental place, rent three or four things for the weekend. And that was, you know, that was, that was our version of a good weekend. We'd go out to a movie, we'd watch three or four movies at home. And this was before everybody was binge watching everything all the time. Right. Um, So he was a, he he was a huge fan of Westerns. He was a huge fan of old uh, sci-fi, you know, the classics, Bella Lugosi and um, oh yeah, uh, like the, the classic Frankenstein, the original cinematic Frankenstein. Um, he was he was a, just a gog over the makeup and how Boris Karloff, 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 yeah, all those guys. He just he loved them, he loved them. He grew up on them. He grew up on um, Saturday morning um, what are the names uh, serials. Uh, like for me, for me, actually it was star Wars. It was the, probably like, I don't know if he sat me down and introduced me to it because, you know, I was born in 1980. So 1987 was the decade of star Wars and pop culture in terms of just its explosion onto the consciousness of the world. And everyone was taken with it. My grandmother my, my mother's mother, for some reason, was just this huge Star Wars fan, and she had just gotten HBO, so whenever I was over there, half the time Star Wars would be in my and I just, I just sort of sit down in front of a, you know, two, three-year-old, but, you know, there's, there's guys who are flying space fighter planes, and then they get out, and they fight with swords, like, how much more of a boy's fantasy can you have? So, I was into it, and my dad, I think, he loved the series, but I think he loved that I loved it. He just jumped in. Uh, he actually had me. He had me enrolled in the Star Wars fan club by the time I was three. He he he, he, he awesome. would, the, the, they, they would they would like mail these these posters and stuff. And he he being the guy that he was, he would like smooth out. The, it would come folded up in, the, in like a little envelope and mail. He would smooth them out. And he'd like mount them on poster board and put it up in my room. And, uh, yeah, he, he was huge on introducing me to every kind of every kind of movie that he could think of. Anything that if I showed a remote interest, he's like, 
we'll do that. Okay, cool. Um, music. He learned to play piano at a young age. He never got much formal training. He never got like really good at the left hand. So his rhythm was always very, you know, four, four, but he loved to play stuff. And he learned to play, play, he learned to play the, the theme from Superman by ear. And I was a big Superman fan, the Christopher Reeves version. So whenever he needed de-stress, he'd sit down at his little checkering piano and bang stuff out. And I loved it. It was him. It was time with him, but it was also like someone's making music for me. And it was, it was great. Uh, he, his mother was apparently she, she trained to, um, do like radio drama back in the thirties. She was born in 1910. So she must, she did that for a few years in Washington, DC. She was on a program. I'll have to ask my mom what program it was again, because she was telling me about it. But, um, but I remember growing up, she wow. loved opera loved classical music, was playing it all the time in their house growing up. So my dad was a big classical music fan. So I grew up a classical music fan. Um, <laughs> it actually wasn't until years later that I discovered this thing called rock and roll, <laughs> you know, somewhere around 1988, 1989, like, oh, there's wow. this group called the Beatles. Oh, they're cool. All right. Oh, this is different. Um, I mean, I look back now, I don't know a lot of kids who would have been familiar with Bach, like I was familiar with Bach, you know, you know, the classic, that's all almost anyone knows, but he had like recordings and he put them on the record player, straight up vinyl. And I'd sit there and listen to it and just entranced. He's like, he would talk about, you know, going into fugue states and like he, he and I like mentally shared so much. So much. Um, as far as comics, though, it's funny. I I never really got to ask him what his like comics influences were. I actually was asking my mom about this because I I had the feeling you might you might ask. He apparently was really into Batman and Superman superheroes. Um, Archie, Jughead, that stuff. Like not so much. But um, there was also apparently a series of comics called uh, Classics Illustrated, where they actually kind of, they turned classic novels into graphic novels. Yeah. And yeah, and if you if you hit it up on Wikipedia, you'll see like all these different titles. So apparently he was really big into that. I mean, the guy was a reader practically from the day he learned how to talk. He, he apparently didn't actually really start talking until he was three, but then I think within a year he went from like talking to reading, as far as I can tell. He just boom, went right into it. So he read everything. I mean, and our house growing up, like walls, just books, stack books, books. Um, actually, Rob, I was, I caught one of your uh, Twilight Zone podcasts, and it was the one about, uh, Time, uh, all the time, world. I, I time enough at last. But Burgess Meredith, right? Yes. And yeah, I remember seeing that episode of The Twilight Zone with my dad as a kid. And I was mm. like, 
he doesn't be my dad. <laughs> he, I mean, he would just, he just loved to devour a book. That was, you know, a movie, a book, maybe some music, but that was him. Um, cool. He really, he really loved like pulp fiction magazines. Um, yeah, literally pulp fiction, uh, fantasy and science fiction, galaxy, amazing stories. Um, <laughs> Amazing stories. He was he was huge on that stuff, and he really loved Heinlein, uh, Jules Verne, uh, Isaac Asimov. I think I, I wonder now if Asimov, the idea that Asimov had of an android gumshoe detective, if that sort of like weird genre genre blending oh. kind of gave him the idea to like, well, what if we had a new supernatural newspaper reporter, like. I mean, Asimov definitely hit a lot of those those beats. And I mean, Asimov certainly gained a lot more notoriety. But in terms of horror, I don't think anyone was doing what my dad did. In retrospect, it's like, it's really, my Southern California is showing, it's, it's like, like, really, like, cool and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, you know, talking about, like, your your dad and stuff, it seems like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Like me and my son, he's two or about to be two. And, uh, and we have a record player. I, I spent a, and I'm, I'm very particular about things. We've, and I'm like, I need the best record player. I'm going to set it up nice. I'm going to, we're going to listen to vinyl together, you know, and he's going to experience things, you know, and it seems like as you're talking about, uh, Jeff, there's a lot of, I'm like, man, I, you know, I, I sort of am like that. Like I remember as a kid, just absorbing books, you know, I used to just I would ride in the bus any free moment I had I would be have a book or something man and and as you're talking about him I'm like man you know yeah. I'm very particular about stuff too and uh, I, I think that it, that's sort of like the personality trait that drives people to want to uh, excel at stuff you know it's it's people who have that they who are particular and you know the people who I'm, I, you see this I, the the amount of time it took to put these glass cases up rig them up with lights and all this and stuff it's that's like the that's like the 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 perfectionist you know the hey i want things to if i'm gonna have something it's gonna be perfect it's gonna be nice and and do do you think your dad was like that very much so um possibly even to the detriment of his own career um because i think once he had the kind of level of success that he did for a while there not hitting that same mark like right away afterwards, I think that may have, that may have been really hard for him. Um, I, I can't, I can't say, cause I, I've never really got to talk about it with him, but um, yeah, it, it, it can be, that's, it's, it's a double-sided, it's a two-edged sword, you know, cause it can, it can drive you to excellence, but when you don't hit it, it can be, it can be crushing. It can be really crushing. Um, and I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. You can go ahead. Well, and, and I think also, unfortunately combined with that, you know, whether it was uh, advisable or not, you know, when ABC went ahead with the, the show, they didn't consult Jeff. They didn't consult him. They didn't ask him. They didn't want any input from him. And he, at, at, the, at the least, was hoping that maybe they would give him some creative credit, 
throw some money his way, something. Um, but, you know, he had sold his dramatic rights. And unfortunately, he lost that court battle. And apparently, it made him persona non grata in Hollywood. Um, yeah. Because, you know, he, he, he suddenly he was difficult to work with. You know, and the Hollywood machine in some ways hasn't changed either. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, Hollywood's corporate <laughs> for good and for get we wouldn't get the Marvel cornucopia that we have if we didn't have a big corporate juggernaut to run it, but you know, for the folks who are the creative grist for the mill, you know, if you rub someone the wrong way, then it, your position can be very precarious. And I think things maybe for creative folks might be a little bit better these days because of the internet, because there are so many more avenues for people to get their creative content out. But back then it was so limited. You know, you had the big three networks, you had the movie studios and it was it. You know, and if they, if they didn't like you, which is a shame which is a shame, but yeah, I mean, Mark, Mark made that point that, um, if, you know, you were going to say around 1973, 1974, that there was still going to be a rice who was writing about vampires. Um, at that point you would say it was going to be Jeff, but then five years later it was Anne and, and regretfully Jeff was out. And, um, and you know, and that's, you know, going back to, our initial conversation when you asked me why I wanted to do a, a podcast about Kolshak and why I wanted to make your dad a, a central emphasis on that. Again, it just, it just goes back to the, you know, th- that unfortunate circumstance that happened to him and, and, and not recognized by the, the culture um, that has so many fans you know, and, and, you know, we've got now one of the, the Facebook sites uh, for Kolshak has 21,000 members. I mean, it, the, it has doubled since probably two, three years ago when I joined it. Um, there's another one that's up to 16,000 members. Now, I know there's cross-pollination because I'm on all the sites. Bradley's on all the sites. Dwidziak's on all the sites. <laughs> uh, Jeff Coburn, who's listened to this, who we've been talking to a lot lately, I'm sure he's on all the sites. So th- there's probably a lot of, but there's, there's still, you know, the numbers got to keep adding up if you've got more than just the the 16,000. So there, there are some people out there who um, are, you know, actively involved in this and, and want to celebrate it, but don't still really know that much about your dad. And so it's, it's my hope that we, you know, come up with some kind of way to, uh, you know, commemorate what his contribution is. And that of course is what we're working with. And really thanks to you, James, for telling me about his experience with going to school at the university of Nevada, uh, Las Vegas. Sorry. My cat is now eating cords. Um, the, um, you know, and, and that, then, um, I approached them and so far it's been nothing but positive on their side that they're very interested in this idea about pursuing this. And, and it's just in that stage, you know, where they're, 
thinking about it and they are talking to a lot of the appropriate people you need to talk to within that university um, about the potential of whatever it will end up being um, to have a commemoration for him. And I think what's, you know, more than likely what's going to happen with Bradley and I is we are going to still launch, I think, our own GoFundMe effort that will be this uh, memorial scholarship. And, and I guess it's going to be kind of a contest is really still what we're thinking about. Now, what form this is still going to take, I'm not sure. Um, you know, if we open it up generally to everybody, that's going to be crazy. Um, I like that originally we're going to think about, you know, going to a school, you know, having it focused in as a scholarship available for those people. But in the interim, you know, we may not be able to uh, land UNLV immediately. And I still want to move on. on. Sorry, guys. I still want to move on us, um, you know, getting there. So I'm rambling a little bit for all that, but I, I just wanted to, to throw out again now that you're, you've mentioned uh, what happened to him is that, you know, it's, it's just up to us, this community, to uh, sort of band together and just remember this. And, uh, and I still think, and I just got this idea in my head, and evidently it's working with some people, that we, we could have at the very least our own meeting in Vegas with people and, uh, and all of us be dressed as Carl and, and have a big scavenger hunt and, you know, and have a big toast to him down the strip or something like that. So at the very least we can do that. And, and at the most we can do some other things, which I think is going to happen with UNLV. So I'm sorry I rambled on that a little bit. Um, you guys have anything else to say? I'm going to, no, I'm going to wrestle okay. with my cat. I would dress as Scoresney. Just because I'm, nice. contrarian. I'm contrarian like that. Good for you. And, you know, who 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 doesn't want to dress in a full tuxedo in the middle of the Vegas heat? That's always fun. Right? Oh, Actually, no, oh, no. this, this is going to be in January. It's oh, okay. I'm not going to that heat. <laughs> so, well, you know, then you'd run into the CES crowd. That would be fun. They'd probably think you're just cosplaying for yeah. the game. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and you know, you know, James, you were talking, and uh, one thing that I guess after the whole, you know, he released the the novels and he, you know, that whole thing happened that you talked about him losing the rights, it seemed like he had a uh, a time that he could, I guess, reclaim, uh, I, I don't know if reclaim is the necessary word, but there was a time whenever they are going to do another, he was asked to do another Shack novel, and, uh, and he declined, and he said, you know, I'd rather somebody else like Mark do it, and he and Mark did the next Kolchak novel. Do you think that he sort of, uh, he was downtrodden or, you know, he sort of what his experience had sort of been like, you know, I was here and, and even after all this time, I still, you know, I don't want to go back there maybe, or I can't top this or what, what, what do you think his mindset was when he sort of said, didn't want to do the next, do you, or do you think he just wasn't, uh, he just, he was retired or, or well, he wasn't, I mean, let's see. That would have been, what, 92? Yeah, I think around there. Okay. And and this is the unfortunate part is, uh, unfortunately, relations between me and my dad were, well, I mean, you know, I was a kid. I was, I, I was yeah. born in 1980, so I was 12 at the time. And, you know, relations between me and my dad were, unfortunately, you know, they were strained because, um, you know, my parents split when in 1988, and yeah. there was some there was a, a, 
a bit of a custody battle for a series of years. And it was, it was bitter. It was bitter. And I wasn't always a fan of, of how my dad went about it. Um, so there was some hurt on my end and I wasn't necessarily always asking about his work business because I didn't always want to know. Um, again, you know, the things that happen to families, but, um, so I never really got a peek into his mindset about that, but knowing him the way I did and knowing myself and knowing myself as an adult, um, I think I can speculate to some, with some safety that, yeah, I think he knew some of his mental health limitations at the time. Not that he was necessarily ready to handle them. He actually started getting some help and, and dealing with that a few years later. But at the time, I think he knew that he suffered from some level of, of writer's block. Um, I think the idea of the pressure wasn't necessarily good for him. Um, and I think also around that time, he was trying to sort of reinvent himself and and get going, doing something else with his life just to be stable because he didn't have a lot of steady work after Kolchak for a long, long time. You know, um, I know he went back to school and got a, a paralegal certificate, um, and was trying to work on that. I don't know that he would have been able to do that, have, you know, trying to hold down a full-time job and doing writing work on the side because, you know, like I said, he had some mental health challenges that were sizable. Um, so he may have had enough self-awareness to say, yeah, I'm not going to be able to fulfill that because whatever else was going on with him, he very much wanted to be a man of his word and be honorable and not, promise things that he wouldn't be able to deliver. Um, if there was anything that he, he drummed into me, it was, you know, you have a code and you live by it. Um, whatever that code is, but you live by it. Um, and I think one of the things in his code was, you know, you don't promise things you can't give. So I don't think he felt confident that he was going to be able to follow through. Um, um, which, you know, it's a shame because I know that it's funny. I'm a teacher now and it's part of my job to figure out ways to get people to deliver when they think they can't. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a semi-professional life coach just because I have, I have to teach every day and I have to get, you know, students who can be kind of squirrely and not really, you know, thinking that they can do it to, to say, you know, you can do it. I, I'm, I'm 50% chemistry teacher and 50% cheerleader. And, uh, you know, I look back on it and I realize, you know, with the right support, I think he could have. And that's part of why I'm so strong, uh, so strong an advocate in my teaching for students. And I've just only grown over during this pandemic in advocating for mental health awareness and things like that. But yeah, I just don't think he, he, he saw that he had it in him, even though I look back and I think he would have had it in him. Um, but I'm also kind of an optimist about people. 
I missed I missed what the question is, but I think I understand you know what you guys were talking yeah, about. Yeah. And um, um, no, I was just going to say that especially today, I think mental health has become more paramount in a lot of ways, and especially uh, among people, you know, teens and stuff. I think it it's become like a big issue and. Uh, so there's a lot more to deal with there, and and you've had to be on the front lines of that too. Uh, but do you think if 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 I guess mental health would have been more paramount, that maybe he uh, he would have been able to get the help he needs, or do you think he could have gotten the help he needs and just didn't seek it out? I mean, what do you think? Because it seems like their mental health is like very open nowadays. Like you can talk about it, you can discuss it, and people don't you know look at you like you know the black sheep or or like an outlier, an outcast of society, they, they actually can help you get help. Yeah. Um, there is that. Yeah. It, our society just even in the last five years has become much more open in talking yeah. about yeah. mental health and, and, and destigmatizing it is really the thing because people have recognized mental health issues, but it's been the stigma around it that's prevented so many people from, from getting that kind of help. And I mean, not to get too much in a bunny trail, but because I work in Los Angeles, I work with people from all kinds of um, different, different cultural and ethnic uh, communities. And depending on which community you're approaching, people still have their different stances on how to approach mental health, if it should even be approached. Um, and even my students have arguments with their parents because things have become generational where some kids have more picked up those ideas. But I think part of it was that it was the era, you know, I mean, 1992, I don't think even Prozac had been introduced into the public yet. Um, so the idea that there would be effective medications for people um, that would still leave you functional you know, I think a lot of the, you, you, you know, when you think of mental health in the 70s, 80s, you know, the big thing that stands out I, probably in a lot of people's minds was, uh, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, where there's all these people who yeah. have mental health issues, but the system was seen as oppressive and they didn't need help. They needed freedom. And they're like, well, they needed both, you know. Um, and just the, 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 the state of what psychology and psychiatry were able to offer people 25, 30 years ago is just not what it is today, you know? Um, so it was, I'm glad that we are where we are now. Um, and I'm sorry that uh, in some ways, you know, my, my dad was just of another era. And uh, yeah. But what he did produce was is tremendous, and oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I know that it, it it's it's so weird to me that it's got these kind of legs, you know, that it's still going and it still captures people's imagination. It's delightful. <laughs> yeah, I I think even uh, Dwidziak is, is surprised by how much it's. Um, you know, it still it still has a foothold. Let's say that, and 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 is potentially growing. And I mean, I know that he knows that the market is gonna rev up again because of various anniversaries 
and he you know was hoping to be able to put out another version of his uh night stalking book the companion book and um but outside of him you know in in interacting in this you know this the world of these facebook groups um i mean there is definitely at least a core of a few hundred people who are always on there and are always talking about how much they love the show and always talking about all the references that it, you know, it, it can bring up and what actor was in this and that and the other. And, uh, and so it certainly has, I wouldn't call that the base. I I'm, I'm curious too, um, how active all the rest of the 20,000 people are, you know, that are, that are in these sites. And I don't know the, the dynamics of, um, Facebook and, you know, if we put a post in there, does that mean 20,000 people see it? Probably not. You know, they all have their algorithms, you know, who knows, um, what, what that is. And there's that, um, oh gosh, whatever that, that, uh, documentary docu, well, almost docudrama, I guess we'd say about, um, social media. What was that? The social dilemma? Yeah. You guys remember seeing that? Um, so, I mean, there's all that stuff, but, um, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to swing back still to a question that I had, and it, it goes back to James, you and I exchanging uh, texts and emails about um, when, when you, I kept you know wondering about the origin of where your dad might have been influenced about this particular character or where he fit into this, this classification. Okay. And the, you know, the, this, this concept of urban fantasy that you um, linked me to in Wikipedia and and then as I read more and more about that and learned, you know, Asimov was part of the group called the Trapdoor Spiders. And this is this is this group that pre-Asimov um, was actually the, the guy whose name escapes me at the moment, but who actually is the person responsible for creating the the idea of war games um, in the U.S. military and, is, and specifically naval battles. He was a writer within the Trapdoor Spiders who wrote urban fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's. I, I'm I, tripping I, out. Yeah. I'm tripping out because I, I was mentioning right before we, we got started um, recording here that, among other things, I've been geeking out in the last year and a half or so over Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. something that I wanted so desperately to play back in the 90s, but it was before the internet and Google. It was before meetups, hangouts, apps where you could find people. Like, I knew nobody. Even though I grew up in Southern California, Dungeons and Dragons was real popular in the mid-70s, and then there was the, uh, you know, the satanic panic of the early 80s, and by the late 80s, early 90s, people were not talking about Dungeons and Dragons. I remember seeing like boxed sets at the local B. Dalton. Right. Remember B. Dalton? Oh yeah. I'm having a good memory. I'm, ha- I'm having lots of nostalgia thinking about this, but I, I, I looked at it and it was like, it said advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Like, Ooh, mm, I want to get started on the simple Dungeons and Dragons. That was complicated because you know, I was 12. I was like, I was like I, I, that perfectionistic tendency kept me from like buying a set and jumping in. So Fast forward, you know, I hit, I'm at like 39. I'm looking at 
you've gone on YouTube looking for people doing playthroughs on on Final Fantasy and like all those random 8-bit games and then suddenly someone who's doing one of those is talking about Dungeons and Dragons and the reason I'm talking about all this is because apparently the guy who started it way back Gary Gygax was a huge tabletop he was a war game player oh. he, and created his own war games like he took he adapted war games and created his own war games and then slowly turned them into dungeons and dragons so i'm like all my favorite things go back to like these five writers in new york oh my gosh mm-hmm. everything is connected everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean it's it, it, after after we talked about that i learned something Sorry, we're freezing up. Yeah, after uh, uh, now we're good. After we talked about that, yeah, I mean, it was this this script idea that I have, novel, whatever it's going to be, that I've been you know turning over and over in my head for years. Um, it 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 fit such a huge puzzle piece into that, and 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 the other really cool thing about that group of trapdoor spiders, and I can't remember all the links to it but the um the the magazine um what is it sport and smith uh that now does all of the sort of like the basketball top tens and you know street and smith street and smith that's what it is um they were a publishing group that actually published a lot of these um urban fantasy writers early works um before they got into all the sports and all those types of things. And it just so happened they eventually, you know, all those other things phased out. And what they capitalized on was publishing these uh, recruiting books and, and that stuff. I don't know. Bradley, do you look at any of that stuff? Or James, do you? I really don't. I mean, I, I see them as like Street and Smith's, you know, year in review or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about, guys? I am not uh, I familiar with that name. But, you know, you were talking about uh, Dungeons and & Dragons, and uh, and another thing that sort of, I guess, because you, you said you were born in 80, so, like, they had the advanced second edition would have been, like, in 87, I think, and then the often maligned third edition was, in, I think, in 2000 or so. Uh, but that was, like, it seems like they kept putting out new editions. Uh, was it TSR who put them out? Uh, but they would put out new editions, and it sort of, lessen the quality i guess do you think that, that i guess that sort of contributed to it as well but now like there's this huge thing man of like you know there's star wars editions like even there's uh, a lot of stuff on kickstarter like there's ghostbuster kickstarters for these you know these role-playing games or whatever i mean it's huge now not to get too off of the culture i think for too long but honestly i've been learning as much as I can about Dungeons and Dragons in the last year or so. Um, I discovered this, what it, it has its own Twitch channel, YouTube. I discovered the YouTube reruns of something called Critical Role, which. Oh, Critical Role is amazing, man. Yeah. And like I, st- I started off the end of, or the very beginning of 2020 st- watching campaign one, episode one, and I managed to finish it off sometime late 2020 and started campaign two and I'm in the little campaign two now. Um, but I knew 
next to nothing about Dungeons and Dragons when I started watching that show. And yeah. uh, by the middle of summer 2020, I was joining some people for an online campaign and I knew what I was doing. Like I still had to learn like the the D D beyond yeah, yeah. format and all that. But I was like, I, I like I got my virtual D20, I got my virtual D4, D6, D8. I know I got my character sheet. I know what I'm doing. I'm I was it? I was a a tiefling cleric, but who had his horn sawed off when he was a kid and he didn't know that he was a tiefling. Whoa. <laughs> Right. And everyone went, and he did, he never knew why his eyes glowed and he could make all you know make all the windows open and shut in a room when he was angry like you know but I knew nothing about any of that stuff December 2019 six months later because I've been watching this show and I think that's it is this show brought something back that had been kind of bubbling under the surface but yeah. it had the right mix of talent the right mix of all sorts of things and suddenly people saw it and they loved it. And I think it was the stories, you know, it was the stories, it yeah. was the characters. Yeah. And, and, and kind of to McGavin's credit, it was the actors who brought those stories to life, giving, giving them life live. If, if Kolchak had been published, if the night soccer had been published as a novel without ever being turned into a TV movie, would it hit the kind of success that it, it had even in, it, in its day, I don't know. Um, so as much as I give huge credit to my yeah. day, because the ideas were there, you know, Darren McGavin needed to have Kolchak on paper to bring Kolchak to life. But I think if McGavin hadn't brought Kolchak to life, Kolchak would have stayed on paper. Um, so it's very much one of those um, symbiotic kind of relationships where yeah, they both need each other. Yeah. The yin and yang. Um, I would love to see some new actor bring Kolchak to life. I, I remember listening to the DeWidziak episode and hearing him say Brian Cranston. I was just, I cheered. I was like, yes. But I was, I'm still thinking of Brian Cranston as Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, Brian the dad of Malcolm in the Middle. To this sure. day, I know sure. it's, it's been 20 years, but um, so yeah, no, Brian Cranston might be too old for it, but. Yeah, I mean, all those urban fantasy stories have, have been out there, but sometimes it, you need kind of like that that spark of lightning, that confluence of just the right creative talents at just the right time and place to breathe life into something. I mean, not to get too scientific here, but, you know, the fact that each one of us lives and breathes is amazing, but there, there's a million other sperm that didn't make it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know and there's something to that yeah and i'm i'm gonna go back to D D because uh where's it well this is Colshack's loop we loop around and we'll get off topic but we eventually come back but i just uh i was i loved i loved playing in person so like i think i ended up buying like they had made these special dice like the d6s look like uh he's using the royal we what <laughs> No, whoa, whoa! But no, so the, the so the fireball they the, the <laughs> man derailing me. Uh, so the fire the D sixes look like fireballs and stuff, and look like the the D fours look like little glass containers, and it was so cool. And I thought, man, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm gonna have so much fun. And this was like January of 2020. We met a little bit, and then 
we haven't met since after, you know, we met up, up until March, you know, and, and all that happened. So I'm like, man, I've got this whole box of stuff that I haven't got to use for my, my wizard character. Um, and, uh, you know, talking about him, he, his whole village got annihilated and he was the last one left and he had to continue his father's legacy. And I don't know, but anyway, it, it man, it's so fun. Hey, you and me, man. Yeah. We'll, we'll do an online game. Let's do it, Rob. Well, let's let's set up a night. I'll play. Yeah, yeah. We'll have a. Co- I still got a. I, I still got a third level character left over from a campaign. I think when James and I had this conversation, and you were asking me about D and D, you know, I was the same way that I had so many friends who played it, but they wouldn't let me play. And 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 I just remember walking in and seeing these guys at the table. And they had just the most intense looks on their faces, and and we were and we'd all just come in riding our bikes and we'd been playing football or whatever it was, and these are all our other other football buddies. I'm like, what are you guys doing? We're playing a game. Oh yeah, can we play? No, can't play. And they wouldn't explain it though. You know, they completely like it was nerd on nerd hatred <clears throat> that was going on, and I was. <laughs> I was not pleased, and they just they just wouldn't explain it, and we're like, okay, well, you're a bunch of jerks, whatever, you know. And eventually, I learned it's, and they were like, well, you're kidding me, you're playing with wizards, and you got you know warlocks and and all these paladins and whatever else, and yeah, so it wasn't until I got some cheapo um, game that I could play with a you know a three point five floppy and stick in my computer and just use that. And I still remember going and getting my armament and, and you know, and the little guy saying safe and secure when I would go to the bank, <laughs> whatever that game was. But I loved it. And I didn't I didn't start playing that until after I graduated college. So I was playing that probably when I was 23 and I was getting my teaching degree. And, man, I played way too much of that. Luckily, I still like did OK getting my <laughs> teaching degree, my, my grades on that. But whew, I played that game way, way too much. So yeah, if there's any way to do that kind of stuff, I would love to do it. Hey, and well, you know, maybe off the air we'll talk about that. And this is yeah. actually something that's this idea. I don't know how many months ago this idea came to me. Like, there needs to be a cold check RPG. There needs I was to just be a about to say, uh, we're, we're looking at the three RPG. guys who can do it right here. Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna say so. Sadly. The, the 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 literary rights to Kolchak fell to me after my or they, they, they came to me after my dad, dad passed. Um but I I would have to learn game design from scratch unless one of you guys know game design. Well that I, is not something I know. Yes, yes. I th- I think we farmed that part out. You know, we, we would do all the other story structure and and all the other things, but you know, if it comes to the, the actual computer side of it I got, I got a feeling that's going to need to be farmed out. Well, I'm not even the computer stuff. I mean, just like actually like the tabletop RPG game design, like rule systems and whatnot. True. I don't know. Uh, Bradley, have you ever heard of something called Call of Cthulhu? Yeah. I I, I saw one of the Critical Role. Yes. I, I saw the, the yes, Critical Role episode where they, where they did like a little demo one shot of Call of Cthulhu. And months later, I just thought to myself, you know, that system seems like it would be really good, a good fit with Kolchak because, you know, if, if there's, 
anything about Kolchak, it's very much this, and as I think was part of my dad's world view, Call of Cthulhu and the whole Cthulhu mythos is very based around sort of this, I want to say nihilistic idea that eventually Cthulhu the dreamer is going to wake up and all of reality is going to be, you know, turned into whatever he wants it to be turned into. And we're all just here because he's not awake enough to stop us, Um, which is a pretty dark thought. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I know my dad was into Lovecraft. Yeah. I mean, among other, you know, if if you, if if you name the, the, the fifth, the, any kind of like horror fiction from that, from the fifties, forties, if it was around, my dad probably devoured it. He was into it. Um, Going, going back to what you, you said, Rob, about like, where did Kolchak come from? I think part of it was, my dad grew up just, he was a horror nerd before it was popular to be a horror nerd. Right. Um, he was yeah. very much, uh, he, 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 it's funny, he grew up really wealthy, actually. Um, his dad, before he, before they ever moved to Vegas, my dad was born in uh, LA, Beverly Hills, he grew up in Beverly Hills. Um, his dad had a business out there. I don't know what exactly it was. No, maybe someday I can find someone in the family who does. But back in Rhode Island, where my grandfather came from, they owned a costume jewelry business. They made like jewelry fittings and one. And it was it was it was lucrative work. Um, then they moved out to Beverly Hills. I, something connected with that for for a few years, but it was after my dad turned twelve, so it would have been fifty five. Or so that they moved out to Vegas. Um, his dad, my grandfather Robert Rice, um, was beca- became through various connections uh, a minority owner in the Dunes Hotel, the first big hotel on the Strip, which at that time was way south of downtown Vegas, where all the other casinos hotels were. So. It was kind of the middle of nowhere, and the dunes struggled because they weren't central for a long time. Apparently, it was my grandfather Robert's idea. He he was the first one to introduce topless a topless review in Vegas. So <laughs> good for him. <laughs> um, another claim to fame in the rice. Another legacy. claim to fame in the rice legacy. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but. So my dad was around, growing up as a kid, he was around topless dancers. He was around, um, you know, famous people just kind of cruising through the lobby. So he had sort of that. And he, my, his mother very much was into drama. And apparently the two of them did like community theater when he was in high school. And like he was a, he was a theater nerd. He was a horror nerd. He was a nerd before it was, it was even remotely cool to be a nerd. Um, and although they were wealthy, he, you know, their family, our, our family on my dad's side is Jewish. And apparently that was not a majority of folks living in Las Vegas at the time. So he felt very marginalized because of that. Um, at one point, his grades in I mean, middle school were terrible, terrible. Because, you know, when you're, 
I, I've talked to a few folks who are, you know, who grew up in the, in the United States apparently just did not have a lot of room for intellectually gifted people back then. Um, so if you were, if you didn't conform and toe the line and you were intellectually curious, you were automatically on the bad side of authority just by nature, you know, you, you ask questions. Nah, you're out of here. You don't ask questions. Yeah. Kind and of, I think kind that's of just of, stay, stay in class and listen to what you're told and then repeat it back and keep yeah. your head down. Yeah. Do your work. And yeah. And unless you were born to just the right mix of people who are social elites, like, no. So he got bad grades. Cause I think he was just, utterly bored in school, probably. And he, he always struggled with math. And he got sent off to a military school somewhere in Arizona. And whatever the trauma was that happened to him there, uh, I think he came back scarred hmm. and with a with huge issues with authority. If he hadn't had them to begin with, huge issues with trusting his fellow man to a certain extent, but also seeing the dark side in the everyday, hmm. you know, I think, and that may have even been part of what propelled him. And I'm totally speculating. I never, I never got to talk to him about it, but I, I wonder if that propelled him into uh, reporting because one of his favorite phrases, and I think, no, he didn't come up with this. I think it was H.L. Mencken. You can fact check me on this, but uh, the job of journalists is to uh, comfort, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And that was something that my dad took very much to heart. And as he, I think he got to see that the Vegas establishment was the comfortable. He liked to afflict them. Um, among other things, if you read Kolchak or if you watch the movie, uh, apparently the name of the sheriff is something like land. And back then the county sheriff for Clark County was uh, Lamb, L-A-M-B. And apparently like this is kind of, if you didn't know Vegas, you wouldn't know this, but he was basically lambasting the, the Clark County sheriff for turning a blind eye to in, in the movie turning a blind and in, and in the book blind eye to um, you know supernatural violence but in reality you know he's kind of turning a blind eye to the fact that Vegas was all mobbed up and there was violence all over the place and nobody was doing anything about it because he was corrupt or at least that was the implication um, it was bad enough that my dad and his dad were kind of on the outs with each other for assault for a long time. I don't know that they ever really reconciled because unfortunately my grandfather had, he passed suddenly. Um, so yeah, there, there, there was a lot of his personal subtext built into Kolchak. And I think there was also part of the fact that again, my dad growing up Jewish, he grew up uh, a baby boomer but also, you know, surrounded by the stories of the Holocaust. Um, yeah. And I think that's part of why he had Kolchak be this character who had fought in the war. 
um, because you know if you were a man of if you were a man of Kolchak's age in 1971, 1972, then the chances are that you had fought in the war. Um, and, and you know I think my dad really respected. He didn't necessarily respect authority, but he respected the common man who had been in the trenches. Service, you know? yeah. Service and. You know what? Sorry to interrupt. That, that's a yeah, Heinlein concept. Yeah, and my dad was my dad really liked Heinlein. Yeah, he was a, he was a Heinlein fan. Um, he was wary of some of the more. <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting other stuff there. Yeah, right wing fascist sort of things. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, um, yeah, completely. Not to not to get too deep into that, but but he he respected the idea of people who had, who had served, who had risked their lives. Um, And he grew up around, he was also just fascinated with military technology. He was, I grew up learning everything he had to know about World War II aircraft. Like, like I said, that, that encyclopedia, it was always there. Um, So yeah, Kolchak is this um, military vet, Eastern European, I think part of also like that, that honoring of, of, his Eastern European heritage. Um, our family mm-hmm. came through Ellis Island. Oh, wow. um, we, our name is not Rice. Our name was something like, and I, it's kind of lost to history now, but it, I think it was like Rusonic or Rusonic, the family story goes. They got to Ellis Island, and the officer, they're like, can't pronounce this. Rice. Next. Right. Many you know, names, just chopped many off our entire culture. Mm-hmm. You know, our family came to the United States by way of the Ukraine, previously by way of Germany, because the Jewish people were chased around Eastern Europe and Russia for generations. You know, they came here trying to escape from the Cossacks. So like that family history was always in his mind. I mean, I went, he took me to go see uh, Schindler's List when it was new. I was way too young to go see Schindler's List. I bet. <laughs> I was way too yeah. young for that. Um, but I'll never forget it. I'll never yeah. forget it. And, and I think he grew up on that. He grew up on all those stories. So the, the horrors of the world were never far from him. And even in his last years, I remember talking with him and he was, it's, it's sad now, but he was looking at the 2016 presidential race. My dad was also a political junkie all the time. And he was just looking at the way things were shaping up and he was terrified. He was terrified. He was just like, what? I can't do anything about it. What? I think he's, he, January 6th, 2020, he saw that in 2015. He saw that in 2013, 14. He saw the direction things were going because if nothing else, he always kind of had this bead on the trajectories of things. And I think he poured all of that into Kolchak. Poured all of that into Kolchak. And this and he embodied the world's darkness in a vampire, you know? Um, because at least I think it was safer in some ways than trying to have Kolchak go up against the system. You know, because that would have been Woodward and Bernstein. <laughs> you know, except that was that was after he published that. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's crazy now. Yeah, and 
you know, his story sounds a lot like Mark's, uh, Mark Dwoodziak's. I mean, Mark has talked about coming in, and the Dwoodziak name being, uh, more Americanized, I guess, which Dwoodziak still is a, is an interesting <laughs> name. It's still, it's still pretty Polish sounding. That's, that's yeah. for yeah. sure. Um, but you know, that's a lot of information to, to take in, man. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 uh, we, we, not, that's a compliment. Oh, okay. Yeah, man. I mean, there's so much to glean from that man like this is something that i don't think has ever been touched on in the in the coal shack lore anywhere that i can think of uh, unless it's came from mark that's that would be the only thing that i could only person i think could could come up with that stuff you know or anything cl- anything cl- close to that stuff you know because it, it on the groups you you'll see like hey you know, there'll be talk about specific stuff, but you don't see a lot of talk about the books. You don't see a lot of talk about uh, the character of Kolshak away from the screen. Uh, and and, and I, it seems like that's sort of like, hey, the book's there, and this is what it's based off of, but it's sort of more, uh, uh, what what's the term I'm looking for? Sort of uh, surface level stuff, you know? It is. It is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fan site, you know, and, and, and they want to hop on and it's the whole, did you see this when you were five and what did you think of it? And, but yeah, the deeper stuff, it occasionally gets there. It does occasionally get there yeah. and, and they do mention um, Jeff and they do mention the book a little bit, but yeah, I'm just, just, just agreeing with you, Bradley. Yeah. Um, you know, James, and I think if you'd be interested in this, I think it'd be fun to eventually one day, you know, sort of go chapter by chapter through the book down the road, you know, and just sort of read it and, and look at it. And uh, and sort of I think sometimes it's easier for stuff to especially if it's like a, it's easier to digest stuff if it's like, hey, group think or or sort of like, you know, you're a teacher. You know this if if you've got a friend who, hey, we're going to read this book together oh, yeah. and we'll have a discussion about it. Um, I think that would be a fun experiment to see what we, you know, especially after we, we're sort of picking up listeners as we go, and it seems like we're getting more and more. I think we're at 600 downloads right now, which is not a ton, uh, but but you know we're getting there, and eventually, as people, <laughs> oh, yeah. well, there we go, <laughs> and I and I think eventually as we, it, it's sort of like a, a trap in a way, you know, you set the trap like, hey, here's all the here's the movie, here's the television show. Ah, we're gonna hit you with a book, chapter by chapter breakdown, you know. <laughs> but but yeah, set up. you know, um, well, I'd have to talk with the guy over at Moonstone and make sure it would be kosher. I mean, oh, we, we I, could do it the, in a podcast. Crazy, that that wouldn't be a crazy, problem. Sure. Well, the crazy thing is, so my dad passed, and actually, he, he passed on the first of July. 2015 so this is five years now and um yeah and uh after he passed he had a good friend who held on to a few of his things and then she passed about two years ago and a friend of hers she, she had made her her wishes known and a friend of hers had said you know here's yeah, here, here's there's some things that your dad wanted wanted you to have after this, and, and can we pass them on to you? I'm like, sure. So you know, open up a box one day, and I get my dad's ashes, and a copy of the Night Stalker, and a copy of the Night Strangler, and a couple of press clippings 
and it's like, oh, hi, Dad. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was, it was like, finally, I was actually, several years later, I was emotionally at a place where I could kind of physically and emotionally and metaphorically handle having my dad with me, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I, I put that copy of Night Stalker down just kind of on my shelf by my desk because in the middle of the school year and I really shouldn't allow myself time to do that when I'm trying to teach every day. But over the summer here and there, I'd pick it up and I'd read a couple of chapters and I would hear my dad's voice narrating it. I didn't hear Darren awesome. and Gavin. No slight on you, Darren. No slight on Darren's family, but I never, I saw the movie once. But as a kid, I don't think we even had a VHS copy of it. I have a VHS copy of it now, and I just got to get a VHS player. Mm-hmm. Um, I see Peacock now or something. Well, then, then, then in MeTV is what we've been doing. Okay. Um, actually, I'd love to get caught up on that, so we'll talk more after the after this. But, um, but yeah, I don't. Like I can, I, I, because I've been listening to all the clips on your show, I can hear McGavin's voice now narrating, but the turn, the turn of phrase, God, uh, there was one thing somewhere at the beginning of the book, he, he, he says, you know, he had that the Kolchak had some sort of accolade or some sort of honor, blah, blah, blah. That in a buck 50, will get you a cup of coffee at the corner store. And I'm like, that is actually yeah. a phrase that my dad used all the time. It's oh, awesome. All the time. Like, I was like, uh, oh, Kolchak is the idealized version of Jeff that Jeff wished he was, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brave in all the ways that yeah. he necessarily, wasn't necessarily, you know? Yeah. Um, he, 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 Kolchak was my dad's alter ego, if you cool. will. And I think that's, maybe that's part of why, why people really identify with Kolchak because he's an alter ego that a lot of people would like to have. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 He's, you know, I he, get it. That I get. Yeah. Hey, hey Bradley. Um, I'm gonna start wrapping us in a little bit. We're we're coming up on 90 minutes, and uh, I did want to um, say something that James had mentioned that he and mentioned a couple times here that he's spoken to your your mom and about yeah. some some things. And you'd even said that your your mom was uh, entertaining the idea about talking to us too. And, and about some of her experiences in Hollywood, and uh, the the one the one thing that you and uh, we said we you know discuss that later, but the one thing that you said that was really cool was that she mentioned an experience she had working for Dan Curtis of all things. And unfortunately, correction, so, she apparently or do we the big that teaser? Oh, uh, sadly, sadly. Um, my, I, in talking with my mom about it more later, she realized that she had misremembered that she hadn't oh. necessarily had had dealings with Dan Curtis, but another Dan who was a uh. producer. Um, it, this fellow who apparently was the producer of a film, uh, uh, a now uh, famous, infamous uh, cult classic black exploitation, uh, Black Samson. Mm-hmm. She worked on that. She actually took all the stills for that because she was a photographer at the time. Oh, wow. um, yeah, she like if you if you wiki go on Wikipedia and and look up Black Samson, any of the 
it, it like all the poster artwork is based on photos that she took. Um, but yeah, no, the producer of that show, well, that would be a story that she tells. So I won't say it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think there there are a couple of things that you shared with me too that I think yeah. would be um, things that we would want to share. And and if she wants to tell them, then we'll, we'll give her certainly give her that opportunity. We'd love to have her on. But yeah, yeah she, and talk oh, about like that, that one, like like that one big thing, the one huge, the one thing? big yeah, thing you you want to keep talking about. Thing? Yeah, no, Bradley, we got to save that for his you mom. Can't mention that now. Oh, yeah, no, my my mom was uh, very much around Hollywood through pretty much the seventies, seventies and early eighties, and she just because of the people that she rubbed shoulders with, she knew all sorts of people. Like, it's weird having her tell me these sort of weird intimate stories about people that like names that I've heard of. I'm like. Oh yeah, that guy. Oh, you knew him when doing, oh, man, that's cool. And when you're, again, when you're 10, 11, 12, you hear these sorts of things, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm sure. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to go back to playing video games. Pew, 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 pew. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> register. Like, you knew famous people? Why don't they know them now? What's going on? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, since, and neither of you guys, I don't know if you've ever spent any time in LA. It's weird when you're in the film and movie industry, I mean, there are the sort of glamorous aspects of it, but it's very work a day, you know, except for the folks who are making a whole bunch of money, which is always fun. You know, everyone else is like the, 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 the grips and the electricians and the sound people, right? Like they get to work with all the stars and it's like, oh, I met so-and-so today and I know so-and-so from this project and I'm still going to go home to my rented apartment and just like everyone else, it's just, but, but that's the industry here. So it's, you know, if you're not necessarily in the center of the action, you get to know all sorts of people and do all sorts of things, but you don't just, you just don't end up with much of the credit afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. There, there was one thing I wanted to come back to that you talked about. Uh, and this is more of a statement than anything. I don't know if it's, there's really a question in here, uh, but you know, you talk you talked about, uh, you know, getting that package from, you know, the package from your dad's friend who had passed away, you know, a few years after he had, and that you were more emotionally, I guess, ready to, uh, or open for that experience. Um, yeah. man, and, and it seems like the universe or I know everybody has a different perspective on what things are either the universe or, or God, a creator of some sort, uh, whatever it is has a tendency to not bring things to you, I guess, when you can't handle them, but sometimes, I mean, I'm sure there is situations like that, but it seems like sometimes that things come back to you when you can, you're capable of handling them, if that makes sense. It does. Um, I mean, I won't get into necessarily my spiritual journey. Uh, I definitely, I, I have, as an adult, become a follower of Jesus, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that, and I've seen that happen time and again. So I, I hear what you're saying, and I completely agree, um, because I was not ready at, when when my dad passed. My my first child was on the way, and yeah. I had just had just purchased my first house, and it was just. 
it was heartbreaking because I was at a point in my life where I really wanted my dad to come in and be a part of it. Um, kind of because of some of his, again, he, he had opened to calling me and talking, but visits weren't necessarily so practical. And uh, I missed getting to have a lot of physical time with him. I mean, you, I don't know if you see the pictures on the wall back here, but there's, there's a picture of the two of us. Yeah. And it was the first and last picture I took with him for probably 10 years on either side of it. You know, that was, that's, I hadn't had a picture with him. That, that picture was taken in 2010 and I hadn't had a picture with him since the mid nineties. And that was the last, that was the last time I saw him in person. And wow. I mean, it, it, so when he passed, it just broke my heart because I'd wanted nothing more than to spend more time with him, but he was, he wasn't in a place where he could. Uh, and I had to, go through a lot with that but yeah and I know that there's actually there are other people who are in in Kolchak's loop so to speak um there's a fellow who uh, did a fanzine for a while I, I reached out to him actually it's right at the beginning of the pandemic because I was distracting myself from from teaching for a while <laughs> rooting around in my office and looking at some of the things that I had salvaged from my dad's office and there was this issue of like some fans you know like who is this guy i reached out i found him found his email and like he was he still responded to his aol email (laughs) and uh yeah he was he was doing okay he was safe so far in the pandemic i gotta reach out back to that guy but um like there's there's just almost like a kolchak diaspora to use a big word uh out there in the world and i think uh yeah it was so weird after my after my dad passed I did one of those things you do where you Google yourself, but I didn't Google myself. I go, I yeah. Googled uh, Jeff Rice Kolchak and I found um, basically the article run by DeWidziak online and another article written by someone in Las Vegas and a Twitter post in Japanese. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that, cool. So that was kind of it. And I was just like, and since I don't speak Japanese, I had no idea. And it didn't occur to me at the time to, you know, translate it, whatever. Um, so, yeah, like, like he's got this reach all over the world. And, you know, I almost want to say, you know, is he big in Japan? Right. That was the big joke <laughs> in the, the 80s and 90s. And, but I wonder now if we, you know, if we if we had a convention, would we should, should we should we let people know around the world that we're going to have this convention? Like, you never know. Oh, completely. Well, Bradley, wasn't yeah. it? I know we saw some in India. We saw some in Great Britain. The Great Britain may be happening because our um, podcast host that we use is is based in Great Britain. And by the way, they call themselves Rebel Base, so they are a big, you know, huge Star Wars um, nerds. But um, I, I don't. I can't, I want to say there might have been somebody in Japan, but maybe not. Do you recall if any of our? I've got the list right here. Yeah, are, are any of our sites there's nobody had in that? J- yeah, there's nobody in Japan. We've got 15 in India, seven in Brazil, seven in Peru, five in the United Kingdom, three in the Philippines, and then one in Ireland, Mexico, and Spain. One in each of those three. So, 
three. Right. So, and I always wonder sometimes. I don't. Th- I don't know if that list is the full representation of actual subscribers, or if they're more than that. Or I mean, I don't really know how all that goes. That may be it. We just have that few. Um, now, was there one in L.A., James? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> if not L.A., then Santa Clarita. Well, that, yeah, that's that's why I wonder about it sometimes because I'll subscribe to the podcast. And I don't see anything specifically sometimes because there was a breakdown that used to be in your city. Um, you you would see it that way too, and so I'm, I'm curious about that. But anyway, um, gentlemen, thank you so much for doing all this, um, James. This is not going to be the last time I think you're going to talk to us. I hope um, you you are welcome back, and we can talk. Kolchak, we can talk D and D. We can talk Kolchak. Kolchak. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> this, this is so good, man. Because I was correcting Bradley when we first started, uh, and he even, you know, like it was like, oh my gosh, man, sorry guys, you know, send your hate mail to Bradley for saying it wrong. But you know, I love the fact that it, it can be said both ways. So yeah, that's no. pretty awesome. Now, didn't you say though that your dad did a um, uh, a Lagosi impersonation? Or something like that that he or he he would do Cole Shack, oh, I'm sure. um, and and did some sort of like Transylvanian. Um, do you remember? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he learned his Transylvanian accent from Lugosi's, you know, characterizations. Right, right. You know, he 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 loved doing accents and characters all the time. Just. It was, it was, he, he almost couldn't stop himself. Um, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, go ahead, Robert. Brad. I got a good wrap up question to, to finish this out. Um, we've talked a lot, uh, and this has been one of the most enjoyable interviews that I, that we've done and, you know, not, not a slot against anybody, but it's just, this is something new and fresh, uh, to me, especially, uh, that I haven't heard. Um, and we've talked a lot about your dad, but I guess in closing, what's the legacy of your dad? Uh, you know, we've talked about it, but what do you want the legacy or what do you think the legacy of your dad is? I think he would want it to be a legacy of the little guy standing up for what's right against all odds that Kolchak would be known for that, that he would be known for that, that our society would, would be a society that celebrates that and tries to help make that happen when it needs to happen. Um, I mean, you know, considered and measured because there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people in our society now who think that they're the little guy standing up to the big bad. And sometimes they're, they're just, who knows what, but, um, people who've done their homework too, you know, cause that was one of the things I think, uh, one of you guys talked about Kolchak science you know, where Kolchak does the logical breakdown. I don't know if, if, if that was something that my dad introduced or if that was one of something that one of the writers on the show introduced, but that idea that he doesn't 
go off half cocked. He does his research, he does his work, he's tenacious, and he does it right. He, he does what's right, and he does it right. Um, I think that that essence captivated my dad in everything. And I think that he would love to be known as that person. Um, I mean, despite his many failings, because he was very human, as we all are. Um, but that was what he strove for his whole life. He wanted to do the right thing and do it the right way. And if that could be remembered, if, if, if he could be remembered for doing that even a little bit, and if Kolchak could be a symbol of that, I think he would be tickled. I think he would be tickled. Love it. Man, that was a, that's a fun interview, man, that we could, we could sit here and probably talk. God, no telling how many more hours. <laughs> man. Uh, this has been real fun. Yeah. It's, it's been my pleasure. Bradley, yeah, it's been James, a huge pleasure getting to know you. Yeah, yeah, it has. Uh, I sent you a friend request on Facebook, and I'm I'm sure before now I was probably the creepy guy that was friends with Robert. That, uh, but <laughs> I, I sent you a request. Facebook very often, I no, he does not. I, I admit that I don't check. Facebook <laughs> oh yeah, too much. Yeah, sorry, sorry, we went out. sorry, Robert. I, we we didn't. <laughs> we yeah, we we never mentioned the elephant in the room. <laughs> Yeah, which, which I have said on the podcast multiple times. I sat on the name for two years, you know, after I asked James. But that was the thing everybody kept saying: just, just, just message him. Just go into Facebook and message him. I'm like, okay, man, I'll message him. But it was so great that you did finally reach out, and we're we're able to do what we're doing now. So that that's still awesome. Um, and. Yeah, and if you want to message us, you can send us an email at colchaxloop at gmail.com. You can call us at 662-374-0778. You can find us at Loop on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, uh, and we also have a YouTube channel there. Um, uh, Find us on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash colchaxloop. And, of course, keep an eye out if we have James here. Uh, we're still working on that Jeff Rice Memorial Scholarship. Just keep your ear to the ground, um, and we'll, we're going to keep working on that. And uh, if none of you gentlemen have anything else, for all things Kolshak, you can find us right here inside the loop. <laughs>